Real quick, we have something fun for you. We created a free Feel Good 5 checklist. These are our five go-to why not turtle steps we implement on the regular to feel good every day. A turtle step to us is something you can easily do on your worst day that will move you towards the life of your dreams. We developed this podcast to feel good through self-help and community. And if you're ready to start feeling better, here's what you need to do. Go to our website, askyourself-whynot.com. Click start here for a free instant download. These are the best feel good tips we found and you're going to get so much value from them. Again, go to our website, askyourself-whynot.com. Click start here for a free instant download. Why not start feeling good today? Good morning. Good morning. This is Jayla. And this is Shay. And this is the Ask Ask Yourself Why Not podcast. The place you come where you stop asking yourself why. And you start asking yourself why Why not. not. Yes. Very exciting morning Mm -hmm. today or day. I guess you could say it's always morning when we record. It seems like. It is. Yeah. This is our time to thrive. It sure is our time to thrive. Um, And we convinced a very special guest to join us this morning. It, he is Mike Rucker, his PhD actually, um, and he is the author of The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. So thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so you are a PhD in positive psychology, is that right? Uh, in organizational psychology. So mm-hmm. um, I think there are a few schools now that offer that. When I was first uh, interested in that discipline, uh, there was a master's program um, emerging, but funny enough, this week I'm actually heading off to the um, Positive Psychology Conference. It's in Vancouver this year to present on the book. But uh, yeah, it was a budding discipline about the beginning of 2000. Uh, people really latched on to Cheek Sent Me High's idea of flow. You know, I think that was kind of in the common psychology vernacular, but we hadn't thought about it as this tool of betterment. And for folks that don't know what positive psychology is, it's essentially a facet of clinical psychology used for, you know, tools for betterment. Because up until um, the 2000s, we were really only using psychology to treat deficits, things like, Mm. you know, depression and anxiety. And um, Mm. then this gentleman by the name of Marty Seglman, who was friends with Cheeks at Me High, he wrote a pretty amazing book called Authentic Happiness. And a lot of people know him for signature strengths. He's the one that kind of um, brought that to the forefront, uh, you know, put together this consortium. And now you have a whole host of folks, Barbara Fredrickson, um, who I quote in the book about broaden and build. Um, you know, she's definitely uh, going to be at that conference and, you know, has some books of herself. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's been interesting, but I think you can get a degree in it now. That was a long-winded answer mm-hmm. to say, but when I got into psychology, it was just an area of interest rather than something that you would study as a discipline. I think it's so, so amazing that you can study how, like, like you said, how the brain can work for you versus how it, where, where there is a deficit. Yeah. Or just trying to fix a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I think that is the the mental frame. You know, I think both are important. You certainly need 
what I've been now calling scaffolding, because I feel like when you layer things on, you know, I talk about it in the book, you know, this kind of good vibes only culture, when you overlay that to someone who's really working through something where they need to be more restorative, you know, that cognitive dissonance of like, I just don't have the energy yet for these tools um, can be harmful. And we need to be careful of that. But certainly, you know, someone's just kind of feeling melancholy, or, you know, the, the kind of geeky way to say it is are, are always in this negative valence state where they don't feel like something's right, but it's not necessarily they're damaged or, you know, they need to be quote unquote fixed, then these tools can be extremely helpful because, you know, you start to push yourself on the other side of the spectrum, what we call positive valence states. Um, and I think that's a lot about what your vibe's about, right? It's sort of like, yeah. what are these things that don't feel overwhelming? So I, you call them turtle steps, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, those things are easy to habituate, like, okay, so how do we add these on? But how do we be mindful that we can really enjoy that process too? It doesn't have to be always an upward climb where it's like, okay, well, you know, now you, you have this 10% improvement, let's like, you know, keep going on this hamster wheel, you can kind of, you know, start to enjoy the fruits of that labor along the way, um, which I feel is much more motivating than you know, just keeping stacking these things on. And then, you know, okay, so when's the finish line? Like, well, what's yeah. going to happen when you cross the finish line? You know, then you're going to be hungry again. Um, and so I think as you can kind of stack these things together, but then also enjoy like you're making this progress and then maybe also setting the goalpost, right? Like mm -hmm. if you've arrived at an area that is really fulfilling, how can you enjoy that for a sustainable amount of time rather than, you know, always kind of cho chasing, you know, the next high as it were. Hmm. That's a really good point. A lot of, um, I read and what I come to understanding too, it's not so much of like keeping it consistent and like going, but you also have that fear of losing it mm -hmm. when you hit that finish line, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like, now what it's that whole now what, when or you'll just like grasp on it as tight as you can, like mm -hmm. can't lose it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, there's an uglier truth there. You are going to lose it. Most yeah. of these things are ephemeral, <laughs> right? We know right. that, you know, the way that we've kind of defined happiness, especially here in the West, really does have an adaptive quality. Like when we do reach, let's say it's a job promotion, right? That's something we commonly use. You are going to uh, succumb to that new social structure that you have. I mean, you're going to see the trappings of that particular echelon. And that can be a good thing, right? Because it does motivate you. Um, but at the same time, if you're never enjoying it, you know, if you're always like, okay, well, this new set of Joneses, they have this and I, I don't have it yet. Well, that's kind of part of the design of meritocracy to keep you moving. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't want it to overwhelm you. And always to your point, kind of, you know, focus on what's lacking um, mm -hmm. instead of kind of enjoying like, well, you were never here before, you know, right. so why don't you just kind of see what's there? I like, you know, it's a little bit fanciful, but I do like this, you know, kind of idea that it's not that the grass is greener on the other side it's about watering the grass where you are right mm -hmm. kind of just paying attention to like okay what's going on in this space instead of always looking over the fence that really is the key it seems like and it's hard to do it's hard to stay in that present yeah because you're naturally evolving evolving and, and worrying about what's coming or what you missed or something like that so how, what brought you to write this book and you know research the concept of creating fun as a habit or making, you know, making fun a habit in your life? Yeah, you made it pretty easy for me. Generally, I kind of stumble on this question, you know, I've got it refined, <laughs> but 
Um, it's everything that we talked about. I see, I, so I fell into that trap, you know, that I was always kind of in feature think. I was always optimizing. I, to this day, I still use it, but more um, in a better fashion. I, you know, had a spreadsheet kind of looking for correlations. Like, why don't I feel good today? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, what are these things that I was doing that led to that? And right. I, the problem um, you know, to make a long story short, when we know that people are always in that mode, they get stuck in this rumination. And then they also lose something that's very important called emotional flexibility, which I certainly did. So if mm. you're always kind of chasing that next thing, then anytime life knocks you down, you don't have um, the discipline or the resilience um, to kind of navigate those choppy waters, right? And so I had really over-optimized my life for sort of productivity and happiness. And then in 2016, unfortunately, my younger brother passed away quite, quite suddenly. So that sort of awoke me to the fact that we don't live forever, right? Yeah. And then um, I do have low-level anxiety. It's something that I've been challenged with uh, my entire life. And I think most high achievers generally have that as yeah. sort of the fuel that, <laughs> that moves us forward. And the way I mitigated it was running. And around that same time, I also found out that um, I had probably an undiagnosed injury that led um, to needing a hip replacement, which meant at a young age, when you have a hip replacement, you're kind of told not to run again because right. you're essentially mm -hmm. putting car parts in your body and they have a shelf life. And so if you get it at 60, you're fine. But if you get it at 40, you know, they're, if you keep running, they're going to wear out. So it was kind of this one-two punch where my identity was just blown to pieces, but yet I was still pretty... Pollyanna, you know, I kind of overprescribed to a lot of these tools. And I was like, oh, I'll just will my way out of it. Meanwhile, you know, my spirit knew that this is not a place where happiness is appropriate. I mean, you know, you're allowed to mourn, you're allowed to sort of process all of these things. And yet I didn't, um, you know, I didn't do that. And what happened was I got pretty close to a clinical outcome. Um, and so I wanted to unpack that. That was sort of the seed. Like, hey, it's okay to say that, you know, these periods of our life were not necessarily meant to be celebratory or happy, but you can still find joy in these moments, especially through pro-social behavior, you know, relying on friends to kind of pull you out of it, and then making sure you're doing things that you enjoy, um, you know, why you are processing this. So you don't have to sit and wallow, and at the same time, you don't have to pretend that you're, you know, quote-unquote happy person. And then, just serendipitously, as I was putting the book together, um, science started to back me up. We saw that, especially, you know, coming from, you know, the elk of positive psychology, that folks that had picked up some of the science, but were over-prescribing it, right? Like um, the big one that I cite in the book that I think is, you know, a, a good metaphor for a whole host of things that had kind of gone wrong was this idea that you have to be grateful for three things a day, right? Mm -hmm. We know that if folks are, you know, going through the midst of big change, like a loss or a divorce, that kind of intervention can actually really spiral downwards because you're like, this isn't a time where I want to yeah. be grateful or anything. I want to kind of process, you know, this, this big event and then we'll get back on the rails later. But so, but you can still, and again, I like, you know, your guys' uh, frame of, you know, these kind of small steps, you can get yourself you know, back to the middle. And so that's really was the start of it. And then realizing there are a whole, you can create a toolbox. And then, you know, as coaches, you know, the things that you and I do, we can say, just 
pull a couple of them. And if some don't work, then throw those out, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's another big message is that, you, you know, there's not one way. And so, you know, if you give yourself some grace and go, you know what, this doesn't make any sense to me, but this does, um, you know, you can cobble together um, generally a way to, to get you out of wherever you find yourself. Yes. That's okay. what I got from your book was, yeah, you don't have to be happy all the time per se, but you can build yourself a toolbox of things that you can kind of pull from in those deficits to kind of boost you up a little yeah, bit, just more. a little bit, just the next feeling. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big thing there is that it reminds you you have agency and autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about more control, more, right? Yeah, exactly. More than you think. And we don't have control over the things that life are going to throw at us, but we generally do have some control of what we can do next and how we decide to mentally frame um, mm-hmm. that. And so by doing so, then you don't live so much in the future, which is where anxiety really lives, right? The more that we can say, okay, this kind of sucks, but I can take the next step and I have control over that next step, then you really, you know, you feel empowered, right? No matter what your circumstance. And um, mm. so I think that's sort of the strength that it builds, you know, like, okay, wait, I can go and do this and this is healthy, you know, or I can go visit my friend and lean on them, you know, and, you know, that, that fun is there. And generally, even if that is a healthy escape, it still frees you from like, okay, I can park this and then I can come back to it, right? I don't have to completely mm-hmm. run from it either. Yes, good points on that. Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit too about how like chasing happiness can actually have the opposite, opposite effect. effect. Yeah, yeah, because I think we've all been caught in that where you're like, I'm going to get the marriage and the kids <laughs> and I'm the, the promotion yeah. and I'm going on the vacations and I'm archiving and it. I'm just going to scale it all out. Yeah. And then you're like dead inside. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's clear. That's a phenomenon. I think, you know, we've touched on some of why that happens, right? It's certainly because we do adapt. And so all of these feelings are ephemeral, right? And so, you know, we gain them and then all of a sudden they are going to slip through and we're like, wait, but, you know, I thought I got to hold on to this trophy mm-hmm. and that's just not the case. The other is that when we're always, you know, setting happiness out in the distance, it creates this, <clears throat> excuse me, it creates this gap between where we are today and where we want to be. And that gap really is where unhappiness lives, right? And so yeah. we're like, if we just do this thing, mm-hmm. you know, all the examples that you just brought forth, then it will finally be there, but it never is. And so we start to really ruminate on that gap between where we are and where we think happiness is and where it becomes really problematic is that once we're focused on that gap it can start to bleed into our identity like oh okay well happiness is always there and i'm never there so i must just be an unhappy person right and a lot of times this comes subconsciously right so if someone were to ask us we'd be like oh no we're fine you know we're just um you know, move into the next thing. But inside, we know, like, all this entire journey, which is the corpus of our time, right? Because these things are events. It's not really how we spend our life. Mm-hmm. We're like, I- I'm just not enjoying this at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, your brain's like, well, I just must be an unhappy person. And yeah. once that happens, it becomes much harder to flip, because then you're looking for artifacts and things, because we want our identity supported, right? And so everything that goes wrong is like, ah, 
I just knew it, right? You start to get this kind of mm -hmm. negative. Yeah. yeah. And it, it can really spiral down. What one of the most interesting pieces of science that I was putting the book together is this idea of the hedonic flexibility principle. I learned and, that term from your book. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah. And I think, you know, anyone that's familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, it, if you do implement a fun habit, if you do some of these simple strategies in the book, it essentially is CBT in reverse, right? And so what we know is that folks, whether they're deliberately doing it or not, that do find ways to take some time off the table for themselves. So at least a few hours in their week, they're enjoying the things that they do. They tend to show up the next day feeling better, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, intuitively, we understand that, but it's so, you know, it is harder um, to put it into practice, right? And especially if we feel burnt out because we just don't have the energy to say, you know, we're just worried about the next thing we have to do to move ourselves forward. But the folks that are able to prioritize fun show up the next day with the vigor and vitality to tackle the day. And then that creates an upward spiral, right? Because not only are you more productive, um, but you're also enjoying, you know, the fruits of your labor. And so that becomes restorative rather than, you know, folks that are like, I'll just get through this day, you know, and I'll, I'll figure out, you know, fun will be out there in the future once I get everything figured out, which is extremely depleting. And then, you know, you get in this downward spiral and six months later, you're like, I don't know how I got here, which is super right. unfortunate. And that's one of the most insidious things is that it's such a slow burn. Oftentimes you can't figure out, you know, what was the initial, excuse me, the initial point of failure, because it was really, you know, six months ago when you decided to deprioritize all the things that matter in your life, you know, for some shiny nickel, right? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And it just compounds yeah. over time. And before you know it, you just like, you, you have that yeah. underlying just, you know, unhappiness. And um, you talk a lot about being like actual conscious about scheduling fun and having fun. And I think if a lot of people were asked, what do you do for fun? Mm -hmm. I think it would be like intimidating. So like, how do you define fun? So the simple definition is anything that you enjoy. Right. Mm -hmm. In psychology, we I think I already brought it up. We have this geeky word called valence, but it's essentially, are you finding pleasure in the things that you're doing and are you drawn to them? And so that would be anything that you find fun and anything that's not fun are things that, you know, I wish I wasn't doing this and you're kind of repelled by them. Right. And so an important point there, especially here in the West, is a lot of folks that I work with will like, I'm just not a fun person. And that's because they've over prescribed to this western ideal of what fun is right it means i have to be at a rock concert or i have to you know be part of a party or you know clicking my heels you know on the beach or whatever you know the latest instagram influencer is doing where fun for a lot of folks especially if they have low arousal preferences could be reading a good book you know by the pool and i think self-care is really important but um it's kind of been over marketed as you know spa days or whatever it is it could just be a walk in nature or spending more time, you know, with the people that you love or your pets. Um, and so all these things that are truly fun, things that people enjoy often, you know, again, are like, oh, this guy's telling me to go have fun, but they wouldn't put that, you know, in their mix of, of fun activities when really those are just as enjoyable as some of the more high arousal stuff you might've enjoyed while you were younger or your friends enjoy. And so knowing those preferences, you know, and making sure that whatever is restorative to you gets scheduled in becomes extremely important. And so, uh, you know, again, simple definition of fun, but a lot of times we don't 
you know, kind of think of fun as, as the things that are marketed to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would ask you too, like, what are some simple ways you found to incorporate more fun in our lives? I, I mean, I know from reading your book, I liked a lot of the examples and Jayla and I both said like, just reading this made it more in the forefront of our mind. Mm -hmm. I'll give an example. I, I took my daughter and my son to gymnastics class last week. And I was like, why did I ever stop tumbling? So mm -hmm. I worked on back bends and I did a back handspring. I'm freaking 42 years old on mm -hmm. the trampoline. But I was like, who says we have to quit this? This was so much fun. And it just felt so good to like allow myself to kind of play in that way again. And I actually watched a movie for the first time last week. And it was actually while I was listening to your audiobook. And I was like, I used to go to the movies all the time by myself, like a matinee. And people used to be like, I can't believe you go to the movies by yourself. But that's something that I enjoy. So I watched a movie mm -hmm. and I was telling Shay, I was like, I don't remember the last time I actually just sat and watched a movie. Um, and it just brought me so so much joy just to allow myself to do that. Yeah. Just like allowing yourself. I allowed myself to get in the pool with the kids versus worrying about doing the towels or the laundry or something like that. Like just allowing these little pieces that you're like, this is enjoyable into your life that cost you really nothing. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's just being a little bit mindful of like, how could I improve, you know, this experience? And so generally there's three things that we can control, right? The people that we're with, um, mm -hmm. the activity that we're doing or the environment that we're in. And so, you know, there's a whole host of, you know, low level things that we can do. I meant really just sitting down and putting pen to paper, right? Like if you're like, I haven't done anything fun for so long. Okay, let's unpack, you know, what are the things that you would like to be doing? And a lot of times it's because, you know, maybe, someone's told them, well, it has to be something from your past. And that, that could be a good place to start. But, you know, let's say, you know, for me, I, I unpacked in the book, like I can't do triathlons anymore because of my injury. So I can mourn that real quickly that move on. There's still plenty of things I can do besides triathlons. So that could be one place where folks get stuck. Mm -hmm. um, the other is what are the things that you're already doing? And again, going back to those three things, you know, you and I both share that where I realized I could be enjoying this with the kids instead of, you know, sitting on the bench and just, you know, kind of watching time pass by. And so where are those opportunities where you could either bundle on something else or you could change the variables or better yet, what are the things that you're not doing where you might be able to make better choices, right? Do you, mm -hmm. are you going to, I, I've said this a couple of times and I really do enjoy this activity, but it, it came from someone else that I was working with they realized that the Toastmasters group that they were with, you know, even though it had been enjoyable a couple of years ago, they had habituated that behavior and they actually hated going to it. It was just, <laughs> you know, and it's not like they had an allegiance where they had to go. It was something that they could just stop. And mm -hmm. so is it relationships of convenience? Is it something that you're doing to essentially pacify boredom where, you know, with a little bit of forethought, you could actually use that time to do something that you enjoy rather than maybe doom scrolling social media. And so, yeah. you know, figuring out one, what are the things that you're doing that aren't fun that might be, you know, um, where you're able to replace that with something that you actually enjoy. What are the things that you want to do, you know, in earnest that feel good. So when you look at them again, you know, back to that uh, concept of valence, they're actually drawing yourself, you know, uh, you're being drawn to those things rather than, you know, okay, let me Google 20 different things that are fun, right? Like that's, right. you know, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, 
you know, again, what can you pair with the things that you're already doing? Because a lot of, of, of us, especially, you know, folks kind of in the sandwich generation where we're taking care of kids and our parents, um, you know, we don't have a lot of time. Unfortunately, you know, we call it this, um, you know, time poverty, right? You know, and so some of us do have, you know, don't come with as many opportunities as others, but generally the things that we do, if we're completely framing them from the sense of duty, so we're just like, ah, this is just an extension of my work. It just happens to be a domestic duty. Nine times out of 10, we can reframe that. Like, hey, yes, I have to do this, but I can do it in a way that's enjoyable for everyone rather than me just showing up and then, you know, kind of, um, you know, out of spite for all of this, just because I feel like I have to do it instead of I get to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We always talk a lot about habit stacking and that's from James, James Clear. Yeah. Like habits, I'm sure you're- you, you, um. You have a term for it. I heard on the podcast. What what was your term for habit stacking? Well, so it's a form of uh, James is is using a concept called temptation bundling from psychology, mm-hmm. and so habit stacking. Um, I don't make explicit mentions of it of the book, but it is a useful tool in behavioral science to habituate behavior. Where we're like, okay, I'm finished brushing my teeth now you know, I'll go walk my dog. And so you could add elements, I think in the context of the fun habit, things that are enjoyable will make that habit loop something that's stickier. So I do suggest that if that whole entire habit bundle is something that you don't enjoy, eventually there might be some recidivism, right? Because you're like, eh, okay, well, I'm, you know, using James and then he actually, um, one of a, a friend that both of I, uh, James and I have near Ial wrote a great book called hooked. And so yeah. we talk about the reward, right? What is that enjoyable thing that keeps you, um, you know, within that loop so that you're drawn back to it. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, that is where fun really can play um, an important part in keeping those healthy habits going, because if you don't enjoy it at all, right, mm-hmm. eventually you're going to leave. Um, my day job is in wellness and we know that group exercise is one of the stickiest ways and it's not because what you're doing is fun um it's generally because the instructor is amazing and, and really enjoyable but more often than not it's because the people like nine mm-hmm. times the out community. of ten yeah yeah environment exactly. mm-hmm. because exercise as much again it goes back to kidding yourself you know we know that you know the instagram folks will tell you that exercise should be the reward but for most of us exercise is work uh, yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah they always say that well, I liked in your book and Jayla does a really good job of this. And I, I think I do too, but we both like to wear like things that make us happy, like, you know, fun earrings. She does a really great mm. job of this. I don't know if you've checked out any of her realtor stuff, but I think that that's a way to, to kind of bring more fun into your day. Cause people notice what you're wearing and they'll comment on it. And my husband's a dentist. And I loved your example in the book about the hygienist, because he says this all the time, people come into the dental office and all the time. I hate being here. I hate this place. Yep. This is the worst part of my day. Like just so much anxiety and the dentists kind of, they absorb that. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good to them. So for your hygienist to kind of wear that, but she would wear like fun hats and mm-hmm. different things. It would change the energy and make it less serious for people to come in there. So like little things like that even can make your work day more fun. And did, I don't know if you saw, um, someone from people magazine actually picked up on that story. Did and they? Wanted, yeah. I have it on my Instagram. They wanted, they're like, really, did she really wear like a, 
you know, purple people eater costume. Yeah. And like, so people did a half page spread on her. That stoked me out so much. Cause here's, Aww. you know, yeah, she. That is, is a major thing. Yeah. And she's really unassuming, right? You would think this is some boisterous extroverted person, but it wasn't. She just realized how impactful it was. Again, you know, it got started because someone brought her a costume. And so just on a whim, she decided to wear it that day and saw the immediate impact. Um, because, you know, I do geek up on all this stuff. The, the concept behind that is um, emotional or social contagion. We just know, you know, if that kind of hits, right, and people are doing it in an authentic way, you know, mm-hmm. even if someone kind of bristles, you know, because, you know, they're not ready for it, it generally has a positive impact on almost everyone, right, because you're setting yeah. the tone. Yeah. You're setting the tone that, you know, yeah. you're, you're willing to put yourself out there, right? You're walking in a room with some good energy. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. And who doesn't need that change of energy at the, at the dental office? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And then, I mean, the most prof- profound thing there was the amount of the reduction in, in drugs that people needed to take. Yeah. And I'm sure she felt better at the, at the office too, because it does have an impact on the employees there to hear that they don't, that people don't like to be there all the time, you know? Yeah. And the funniest yeah. thing though, is again, she was very welcome, but no one else partook. They all sort of celebrated her and watched the spectators. You know, um, as you know, the story, I opened the book with Will Novak. I think so many mm-hmm. of us remain spectators and then sort of are left wondering like, okay, well, why is this person so jovial? Well, it, it, you know, it's not like this big secret, you know, again, I'm probably mm-hmm. not that good at marketing, but I didn't like, you know, do the, it's not some hidden thing. It's really just taking these simple steps and, and figuring out what fun means for you, but then mm-hmm. making sure that you use your power of agency and autonomy to integrate it. And mm-hmm. then the best thing is it just takes two or three weeks. I'm sure you guys see this oh, all the time. That's good. You know, the first week, you know, generally any type of um, behavior change is a little bit difficult because we do like routine. But once you start to see the impact, right, and check in with yourself, like, am I feeling more energy? Do I feel more vitality? You know, you, the answer is going to be yes. And then it becomes that upward spiral, right? You know, one of the studies that I love the most, um, you know, that I, I mentioned in the book, uh, Dr. Cassie Holmes out of UCLA, just going into your weekend and treating it like a vacation, right? So no other prime, just that mindset of like, wait, Saturday and Sunday, I, these are the days I have control over. Like I'm on vacation. I love that. Mm -hmm. And the most interesting thing is people didn't change the routine behavior. They still mowed the lawn. They still, you know, did all of the things that they wanted to do that weekend. They just knew it was their time. And Mm -hmm. I I think if nothing else, it's, you know, you're mindful, like, okay, yeah, I get, you know, if I don't want to do it at three o'clock, then fine, I'll go do something fun and I'll get it done. But you know, a majority of these folks showed up Monday ready to tackle the world. And, you know, it gives credence to the hedonic flexibility principle. When you just add these things as much as it seems like it might just be, you know, layering on to your already busy life. And, and I think to some degree, it's important, you know, to see what you can reduce so that you aren't burning yourself out. But mm-hmm. when you find that balance, ironically, you're going to be the most productive version of yourself. It's not going to be, you know, something that kind of wears you out or mm-hmm. um, you have to worry about time management. It's actually the opposite. It gives you, you know, more ways to be innovative and creative. And then it also mm-hmm. gives you more energy. So you're producing more, you know, in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. We always talk about put your money where your pain is. Yeah. 
Um, and I liked your example about bath time, uh, bath time. Yeah. You went <laughs> and yeah. and it, and it's inspiring. And I feel like for groceries, you can get those delivered. Now you can, you can have somebody um, help you with your housework. It's easier than ever to kind of do those things. And I yeah. think for a lot of us, we're like, Oh, it's hard to like accept that. Cause yeah. I was a stay at home mom for six years and now I'm working and it took me forever to accept that it's okay to have someone come to my house every two weeks and clean my house, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm busy. And when I'm home, I just want to spend my time with my kids and not clean all the time. Exactly. So you so. kind of have to like reverse it, but it frees up that it frees up space for you to actually, you know, be with your kids a little bit more. Yeah. yeah I don't backpedal from that. It's interesting. I think some of the criticism of the book has been there because it does come from the vantage point of privilege right? Mm -hmm. But I think you have to meet people where they are, you know, at the end of the day, if you're in a position where you're making $80 an hour and you can buy back some of your time mm -hmm. at $20 an hour, then that's a pretty easy math equation. But even for folks that don't have the ability to potentially invest in some of these things, then you can make swaps generally. I like uh, that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a whole host of creative ways. So when people kind of push back on that, okay, if you have the money, I, I think generally those are good decisions. Again, time is the only thing we can't make more of, right? And so mm -hmm. buying some of that back mm -hmm. so you can enjoy some of it um, becomes extremely important in that context. But even if you don't have the money to be able to do that, generally, you know, if you have a network of friends, they'd be more than happy. Because mm -hmm. again, it's sort of batching these things, right? Let's talk about um, watching children generally when you have a group of eight kids, they can self-police. So you just have to be there, you know, to make sure you apply bandages or call the police or, <laughs> or the ambulance if needed. Um, but then that frees the other person to do some of the things that they want to do. And, and as long as there's, that's reciprocated, now you have more time back and it didn't cost any money. And mm -hmm. so that's just one creative way to do it, you know, without a, a financial investment. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think for most folks, that are, you know, working generally when you do the math, um, you know, finding ways to optimize, uh, you know, what we call admin work um, becomes extremely beneficial, especially for perfectionists, because for whatever reason, perfectionists really get stuck and like, no, nah, I just need to do it. Really? Mm -hmm. You need to, you know, scrub that social media Excel mm -hmm. sheet, like, <laughs> to what degree are you applying, you know, your immense years of uh, wisdom and the impact that you make on the world by spending three hours in a spreadsheet of social media handles, you know, as I, one example. I think <laughs> a lot of people too, there's that underlying judgment, like of yourself where you're like, I can, I can certainly clean my house. You know, yeah. what do I, you know, it, it, what do I need to hire somebody to do that for? I I'm capable of doing that. So I think that there's like a little bit of judgment that comes from all that. I, I, I let go. Not just a little. I think there's yeah, a, a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, and especially I feel the same way. Like I was very uncomfortable for some of these, you know, because to your point, you know, I think we do need to check our privilege. And so those things are important. Um, but if you're giving an honest wage to the people that help you, you know, they've certainly raised their hand and said, I want to do this job. So, you know, as long as you're doing it in an ethical fashion and, and you treat the people that serve you well. Um, I have not found, and I have spent some time unpacking this, especially when some, you know, criticism came my way. I just don't see any downside. Yeah. Well, I think too, I look at it as 
not even just money for the value, but my time with my kids, the value just out like soars way past that more than I'm paying somebody to come and give me that time back, mm-hmm. you know? So I look at it like that way too. I can free up more time to be spending it doing something that's more value, even if it's not money value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then we both had kids. This is will kind of be like our we'll wrap it up after this, but we both have kids that went to Montessori school Oh, cool! and, um, they, their whole shout out to Socorro Montessori. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went there all through preschool. My son actually did kindergarten there, but their whole philosophy was like, play is learning, you know, and, and unstructured play in a way. And why is it that you think that when we get older, that we don't see it that way as adults, because it probably still is like, we started this podcast for fun. fun. Mm-hmm. We've learned so much more than we could ever like have expected, right? We're mm-hmm. talking to people like you. You were next to Jay Shetty on the, or maybe he was next to you on the bookshelf, as Jayla said. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, why is it that we just deprioritize fun yeah. in order? So we know there, I mean, it's not like we even have to sort of pause it. What happens is, as our lives get more complex, we have all this incoming information coming at us, right? And so we need to develop what psychology calls heuristics to navigate through this immense amount of complexity, right? Especially when we start to take care of others. And so what happens is we begin to create these linear algorithms, you know, so that we can just get through the day. Like, okay, I got to wake up at six, then I'll get my coffee because I know, you know, then you get the kids to school. Okay, what's next on my to-do list, right? So part of that algorithm. And so the ability to think horizontally, like, oh, let me think of 20 different ways to solve this particular problem. We just lose that capacity. And to some degree, we should give ourselves grace because it, it it's required for survival, right? Especially in the modern world with so many crazy things coming at us. But the problem is then those skill sets start to dissipate, right? Because we haven't flexed them for so long um, that we forget how to be creative, how to kind of let our hair down and not take things seriously. In the book, you know, some of the original research for the book, I went and studied this phenomenon in play areas throughout uh, North Carolina. And I would go into these experiential play areas and the kids would immediately start having fun, right? These places were amazing, big blocks and they would start creating things that were like, not just, you know, structures, but like amazing toys, you know, and I remember one time it was like a plane um, and they would immediately start making friends. It didn't matter the context because the context was playing in this amazing area. Right. And they would start to sort of storm form and norm and just these big old smiles. And you would start to see the adults slowly, but surely move to the walls. Right. Because they didn't know what they were supposed to do because no one told them. And so as adults, we wait for instructions because it's a very efficient way. Like, I don't, I just need to know what to do here so I can get from point A to point B. But it's so unfortunate because it is, you know, this comes from transactional analysis. It puts us in this adult role where we've been taught by society that we can't enjoy ourselves in Mm -hmm. that space, right? And so it's great if you do have kids because if you can kind of mirror their energy and let your hair down, right? Like they can guide you in- into enjoying it but when you don't allow that and you kind of okay let me just go with what I know like one of the things that I found which was so unfortunate is 
adults think that you, you know, maybe falling back to Lincoln Logs or whatever, that you have to build a house, right? So they'd be like, no, let's not do that. That's like, you know, these things are for building, right? And all of a sudden the kid, you can just watch the smile go away. Cause like, oh, this is a teaching moment. This isn't meant, you know, for unstructured play. Um, and so all of a sudden now the adults like trying to think of the instructions so they feel comfortable and the kid kind of gets docile, like, okay, I'll listen to my parents and then we'll build this house because that's what they've told me. And, and it really doesn't, um, you know, again, it, it, it allows you to find that comfort in the structure, but it's really unfortunate because we find these are some of the least creative, least innovative folks. And so the ability to get back into that space, like, okay, I get it. I, I, I'll lean into the discomfort of not having, you know, a, a complete map of what I'm supposed to do. And we'll figure this around in it. And if we fall on our face, we'll celebrate that, like, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, especially for parents, because it's why I've been on a lot of podcasts that aren't parent-centric. And so then I, I realized, like, I have so many anecdotes about being a parent, but <laughs> thanks for the in invitation to share a few. I think what, you know, this is sort of a current experiment I'm doing, but one of the funnest things is to go take a class with your child so that you can get in that childlike state and make mistakes with them. Right. And so like when we're teaching our kids again, you know, we get in sort of that parent or adult mode and the child stays in the child mode and it, it's harder to have fun. Right. Because it's like, oh, you did that wrong. Let me correct your thing. But, you know, for instance, taking a cooking class with my daughter, like if we really screw it up, we could just laugh. Like, what is this nonsense? And we're full of flour. And, um, you know, I, my son and I are going to start to do that with dance, I think you know, then it just becomes much more enjoyable. And it also allows you to understand that you don't need a map. You can really, you know, what I call explore the territory and enjoy it and, and laugh and, and not be so serious. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when things are rooted in having to have an outcome, right? Like at the end of this hour, I want X, Y, and Z to happen. It's just in some places it's extremely appropriate, especially if you're trying to move yourself forward. But if you're really in trying to enjoy yourself or the company of others, trying to decouple an outcome having to happen, you know, and then just enjoying the hour together um, becomes a really fruitful exercise. And again, it's been shown to um, really help you become more creative and innovative because it allows you to not have to think in a linear fashion. You start mm -hmm. to kind of, you, you, you increase your ability to pull ideas from uh, disparate sources. And that can be really helpful, especially for folks that are building businesses. Oh, I really like that. It's mm -hmm. really good. I've yeah. never heard anyone talk about that before, but it does like when you're, you're always directing, you know, at, with your kids sometimes at home with chores and stuff, but kind of yeah. taking that other more. And just kind of protecting them from harm. Yes. <laughs> when really they'd be all right if they fell down. Exactly. <laughs> Alex and I, my husband's name is Alex. We watched this one documentary and it was on these kids that lived in, um, the Amazon, you know, it was like, uh, one of the tribes there and they, they were two and they had like machetes that mm -hmm. they were fully capable of operating. And we were like, wow, we call yeah. our kids too much. <laughs> yeah. And then what's, there's the other one where they allow two and three year olds to go to the, uh, the grocery store by themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. Well, we always end with a why not of the day. We kind yeah. of, 
You want to tell them a little bit why we named our podcast? Um, we kind of named our podcast, Ask Yourself Why Not, because when we were kind of thinking, are we going to do this? Are we not? Um, we had that mindset that like, oh, why us? Yeah. Like why now? Yeah. What are we doing? And then it's like, why not? Mm-hmm. Like, why not us? And why not now? And um, so that's kind of where I cued that in. So we kind of try to end it with what's your why not of the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. For me, it's how does this stuff become impactful in a way that does lift folks up? So, you know, in um, sort of the vein of, you know, making sure that positive psychology tools can be as effective as possible. It's like, how do we integrate things that are more enjoyable into the things that we want to be doing? And so you might remember, um, it was about 10 years ago, Volkswagen had this amazing it was actually a marketing campaign, but they had deployed a behavioral scientist to try and find installations throughout the world and make them more enjoyable so people engaged in healthy habits. So the one that really went viral was they took a set of stairs in one of the Nordic countries and turned it into a piano, kind of like the movie Big. And they mm-hmm. saw that all of a sudden um, folks stopped using the stair, or excuse me, the escalator and started using the stairs, which we know... Yeah you know, has amazing health benefits. Mm -hmm. And so I continually ask that why not question, like, how can we make an impact in these installations by making them a little bit more enjoyable? And then every time there's that voice of self-doubt, like, oh, well, you know, these things are fanciful, you know, fanciful or whimsical. I just kind of use that, um, you know, to smash those thoughts with a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. Sounds like similar to how you guys did with the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What's your why not of the day? Got one? Why not just have more joy? Mm -hmm. And why not look at everything you do? How can I, how can I have more fun with this? What's that quote? Because if your, if your goal is to only have fun, how can you fail? Yeah. That's from Gabby Bernstein. (laughs) And we both like that. I I love it. I haven't heard that. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my why not of the day would be like, I hear from you too. Why not experiment more, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to do things the same way every single day, but try things a little different and see what sits well for you and look at your life more as an experiment to see how much more you can enjoy it every day, Mm -hmm. you know? And you know, what's just a layer onto that, I think is helpful for some is if you can get into the mental frame of an anthropologist, because a lot of folks if they get mm-hmm. stuck in their own narrative, you know, again, it goes back to those, it, those trappings of identity. Identity is certainly the cornerstone of good mental health. So you need that. But oftentimes, if we're in this experimental mindset, and we just allow, you know, that you know, our id to kind of come out, sometimes we can hold ourselves back. But if we're like, okay, so, you know, you talk about yourself in the third person, like all of a sudden, like, if this person was my friend, how would I help them get past this thing? Mm-hmm. And you can really start to laugh at yourself. Like, oh my gosh, like Not this is serious. pretty yeah. silly. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I love all that. And I, we like quotes too. And I had to read this quote because it says why not. And it's from your book. Um, and this cracked me up. It says, some people see things that are and ask why. Some people dream of things that never were and ask why, why not? not? Some people have to go to work and don't have time for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was from George, George Carlin. Yeah. It's I, was good that. I was like, <laughs> that cracked me up too. Well, and I think that's, he's spot on, you know, the sense that, you know, a lot of us do live busy lives. And so, you know, I think he's kind of, you know, poking fun at things as comedians tend to do, but 
there's a lot of truth in that, right? It's like, mm -hmm. and so how can you stop those rhythms to the extent that makes sense? But at the same time, you don't have to, you know, put the burdens of the world on your shoulders as well. You know, it, you yeah. can figure out the 80% that you want to protect and that will keep you safe, right? And then, you know, just figure out what the variables are, um, you know, so that you can kind of get in that state of improvement, but at the same time, making sure that you're enjoying it because if it just becomes another extension of things that you feel like you have to do. Ultimately, you're going to burn out and none of this matters anyways. Yep. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts, Jayla? No, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to have the best day ever and it's Monday. So woo! I know. And thank you for being a good sport and doing this so early in the morning, because that's what we found our free time is like our social hours that early morning. Um, but it's been life changing for both of us because mm -hmm. that's the time that we've kind of carved out. And hopefully this was a good feeling for you too. Yeah, absolutely. As we, it kind of closes the loop on setting the tone, right? Uh, you, mm -hmm. you start off the day with an enjoyable activity. It kind of, you know, it's just going to uh, get to coast the rest of the time. Right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And you guys can grab a copy of his book, The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. Again, by Mike Rucker. Um, anywhere that you can get books, right? Amazon. That's right. Yeah. Barnes mm -hmm. and Noble. It's uh, audio book too. Yeah. We listen to the audio book as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. so thank you so much. Oh yeah. My goodness. Thanks so for much. having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. This is the ask, ask yourself. Why not podcast? Believe and receive. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, share it with a friend or give us a great review. Yes, and also if you have an idea for a show, please share it with us. We really love to know what our community um, thinks about the episodes that we're creating as well. Yeah, what our listeners are enjoying listening to. Yeah, that really helps us create better content for you. Yeah, absolutely. As always, thank you for listening to the Ask, Ask Yourself Why Not Podcast.